Hello and welcome to the DIY Recording Equipment Podcast. I'm Peterson Goodwin, and I'm here today with John Erickson. Uh, John and I met, uh, well, we first worked together on his Tone Lock color module, and uh, I was super excited when John contacted me about that because John's been involved with a ton of products that most of you have probably uh, used or heard of. There's the A-Designs Pacifica, Roll Audio Fulcrum, JHS 500 series stuff. Uh, John's just been around uh, in the in the pro audio world, uh, kind of behind the scenes. He's got his name on some front panels, so not, not that behind the scenes. But uh, he's been around, he's done a ton of stuff, and I'm super excited to be talking to him today. So hey, John, thanks for coming. Thanks, Peterson. So... You, if I'm not mistaken, your background before you were in audio, your background's not in audio or electronics. Is that right? Uh, oh no, it's always been, I've, I've been kind of a a musician and, um, engineer. Uh, it's confusing because I'm also a restaurant owner. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, But let's not go into that. Let's not go into that. Yeah. My restaurant's about to turn 10 in next week. So, uh, but long story, but no, I'm, I'm like a lot of. I'm probably like a lot of your listeners, you know, um, uh, mostly a bass player, uh, but was an engineer and produced some records um, up in the Bay Area starting in the kind of like late 90s. That's when my kind of studio stuff started getting going. And uh, long story short, I worked on a I worked on a really long record uh, with a guy named Spiral Stairs, who was the co-founder of Pavement. Um, and after they broke up, he made a... Uh, I guess we'd call a double album uh, uh, with uh, I mean his name's Scott Camberg with Scott and uh, a drummer named Andy Borger, um, and we spent God it just seemed like a year making this record, so it was great. I'd, I you know I had been making lots of records, but it was a long record, and when it was done, um, I kind of wanted a different something different to do and. I had a little money in my pocket from that, which was nice. And uh, I had always built stuff. I had actually, my kind of day job was as a cabinet maker. And I was always building stuff. And I was always interested in electronics, probably like a lot of your listeners. It's kind of this final frontier for some people. Like you just want to, how does this stuff work? I'm going to figure it out. So I don't know exactly how I came to be doing this, but this was kind of in the I guess, you know, you're talking 2000 or so eBay's still fairly fresh. You know, um, I started importing, uh, Mike Bree and EQ and compressor modules from Germany and then racking them and then selling them on eBay for in hindsight, kind of exorbitant prices, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but not exorbitant compared to the other more commercial options, including people that were racking them professionally, like the Dan Alexanders of the world and yeah. Marquette Audio was doing and stuff. Um, so anyway, I started doing that, and it was a nice kind of way to ease into electronics because most of the heavy lifting is done for you inside the module, and then you just need to deal with power supplies and wiring and phantom power and all these things and getting it into a box. So I, you know, I learned how to, to, to wire everything up. And part of that experience just came from knowing how like a studio is wired. Like I know Mm -hmm. about line level audio. I know about instrument level audio. I know about pads and 
polarity reverse and and uh you know phantom power and all that so it's just i'm just kind of translating that inside a box but getting it into a box especially something that somebody might i might uh you know unhinge somebody with a few of their dollars uh uh took that was the hardest thing um i discovered a place that is now i think become kind of ubiquitous in the uh in the diy community which is a guy named john no and par metal out in new jersey Uh uh-huh and i'm sure every i'm sure lots of your listeners have used them and john kind of uh helped me make some make some gear and i think what I, i realized early on was like and this is definitely what plays in my business now is like uh you know it was like okay i'm I'm going to make like 25 of these things. I'm not going to, I'm going to get myself in hot water and then I'm going to get myself out of it. And, uh-huh. and that was a, and it was kind of necessary. Cause he's like, listen, John, I'm not making you one of these. Things if you want custom panels, <laughs> and all that stuff. So, uh, I learned, I, I got to kind of get a little education from John and he helped me start making things and then slowly. And then, that led into so so I'm making these things and I'm dealing with all this old stuff, Langevin AM16s and V72s and all that kind of stuff. And I and I tended to not work on the stuff that was uh, that uh, Neve and API because there was plenty of people doing that already. Trying to do the stuff people hadn't hadn't been interested in. Um. Uh. But that kind of I like a lot of people you know, the supply of vintage stuff starts drying up. People start finding out about it. It's not so cheap anymore. So I started getting interested in making some original stuff. Um, and that's where somehow I ended up hooking up with, uh, well, I ended up hooking up with a couple different people. Uh, I, I ended up working on a project with Justin Morris and he had this awesome design called the fulcrum which was amazing. I didn't design it. That is totally his design. Uh, and I think this is kind of interesting because the fulcrum kind of started out as a, it was kind of a custom product for uh, Stephen Slate back when oh, really? nobody knew huh. who Stephen Slate was. Huh. You know what I mean? He did a kind of custom thing and it was like, but Justin and I started to become friends through, God, it seems so archaic at this time, but I think it was called Rec Audio Pro. Which oh, yes. yeah. Rec Audio Pro was when you would like, you know, search something on Google and click on groups and there was no photos and no videos and and it was awesome. That's <laughs> bad and, and and Fletcher would just like rule the roost. It was like, you know, uh amazing time. Almost better than what is around now. It's like your ultimate news group is amazing. Um uh but Justin had – I found out about this product, and he was going to do this summing mixer, and I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Uh, uh, so he sent me some details, and it was like – again, it was it was really kind of expensive and uh, I think kind of for what it was. And so we're like, let's let's figure out a way to make this thing kind of like bring it to market and, 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 and make it affordable. And so that's kind of how I got into like, okay, I'm going to like – I basically did the metal – and I mean, he had design work and the colors and all that. It's it's his design, but that's where I kind of got into like the manufacturing side of things and helping him, helping him get a product that was kind of kind of DIY and get it out there. And that thing 
that thing is amazing. It's still amazing. And, you yeah. know, people are angry, you know, about it. That's interesting that you tell you tell the story that way of kind of coming from the audio world through electronics and um, and then metalwork. Because I, I kind of see that through line in your work, especially with um, Tonecraft. Your, yeah. uh, your current company is that it's very much its own look. It's a, clearly an integrated product where you've you've thought through everything from the ground up, and it's it doesn't look like um, something that's been stuck in an off the shelf box. You know. Yeah, I mean that's right now my business, especially because while I do make products, I do I work with a bunch of amplifier manufacturers and people that make pedals, and I I really I really appreciate the the uh, how simple and affordable it is to like use Hammond boxes and make effects mm -hmm. pedals. Uh, but I also believe that if people are willing to go another step, you're really going to set yourself apart by, mm -hmm. you know, making that investment and designing a unique box and having something that like, um, and, and something that looks really professional and doesn't look like something I can just, you know, I can just order this off the rack. So, um, right. yeah, I'm a big, big believer in customization, but everything starts with off the rack stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and, and usually, you know what I mean? Like I said, start with par metal and then it's like, oh, you know what? I need more stuff. I need integrated hardware and I need all these different things. So, and you just, you just move on from there. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see more people, uh, doing more custom, custom enclosures, not just cause it's my business. <laughs> I just think it's more, I just think it's, it's it make for a more interesting thing. It's like, when I think about pedals, I like, it's like, yeah, things like the Mutron, the thing's crazy looking, or mm -hmm. even the clone, the guy, like the guy took the time to like make a unique box and it, and it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt that brand. <laughs> right. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, let, yeah. If you don't mind, let's talk about, Let's talk about that and how, um, how the you know most DIYers or um, there's an increasing number of people DIYers kind of going pro and and launching their first product. Yeah. What what can they do, you know, when they're not at scale yet and they they don't really have the ability to um, to go custom and and have the yeah, capital I mean, that, that well, requires. Well, there's there's well there's I mean especially in the in the pedal world, but but these places will work with other people. I mean, fortunately there's great there's great outlets. I mean, Mammoth is incredible, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a there's another uh company I actually work with on on certain things like for example, when I need UV printing called Disaster Area Designs out in North Carolina and You've probably seen their pedal. He's, he has the Alexander brand of pedals and stuff. And so basically there's these little, uh, little, basically people like who make pedals or make amps or something will start business to business companies. You know what I mean? Okay. A lot of these companies started out with people that were like, they make stuff, but then, you know, they, you know, they need something with a bit better profit margin or something. I don't know. Or they right. enjoy it or they really enjoy it. They enjoy making stuff. That's how I get into it. It's like I make stuff under Tonecraft, but I also make, you know, amp chassis for people because I, I enjoy it. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, there's so many outlets. I mean, I can't even. 
Right. I have yeah. very little sympathy for people nowadays compared to when I was coming up because there's it's just almost too easy. UV right. printing has totally changed the game. You know, uh, yeah, places like Mammoth and Disaster, and there's other there's other places that you know will will drill your chassis and powder coat them, and you know, and you know, yeah. And tell us about uh, UV printing. What is UV that printing? In- well, yeah. I I think UV personally, I think UV printing is a is a developing thing. I personally like the look of silkscreen better, but what UV printing is, is essentially it's a printer. It's like, I guess you'd call it a flatbread printer. They, they, they work in different ways. Basically that, that will, that will print on top of powder coat or metal or raw metal. And it can do multicolors and it's not like a silkscreen. Silkscreen's got all sorts of setup and cleaning and this and UV I don't know. You name you name the big pedal brands nowadays, and it's all being UV'd. You know, are these are like smaller minimums for UV? Is that what oh, makes of course. Sense? Well, yeah. I mean, silk screens always like there's you know you got to pay the setup fee for the run. So the setup fee could be seventy five dollars. So and then the the cost of silk it's only a, it could be a dollar, but if you order one, it's going to cost you seventy six dollars. But if you order 76 of them, it's going to cost you a dollar. Does that make sense? It's like, (laughs) it's all about like, you know, it doesn't, silkscreen's like anything. It's like metal. It doesn't take much more time to silkscreen one or 76, if that makes sense. And that's why it costs, that's why there's, you know, setup fees and stuff. Because people have to. You know what I mean? Just turning the light. You know, you own a business. Just turning the lights on somehow costs money every day, you know, right? more than you think. So let's say you're somebody who, um, and I I hear from a few people like this a month. Let's say you're somebody who's got kind of the electronics part done. They've got something that sounds really good. And now they're looking down the barrel of, okay, well, to get this thing to market, I've got to learn CAD, get all the get cases quoted, you know, metal work quoted from all these people. Um, what is, how did you uh, go about tackling that, and what do you suggest? A to lot of that is it, a lot of that comes down to finding shops that. Okay, one thing about like so yeah, you can learn AutoCAD or SolidWorks or something like that. The reality is, is a lot of shops like don't want your SolidWorks. Because unless you work with metal all day long, you may be giving them something. It's like, this looks great, but we can't build it. You didn't make mm-hmm. this. The, unless you really know what you're doing with, with sheet metal, you're almost better off just like learning how to make 2D drawings, you know, like where you have an X axis and a Y axis and the faceplate. And you just show them what are the hole sizes and where do they go? You know, okay, and uh-huh. that's that's, and then just you have those. Do some of the work, do some of the heavy lifting for them, but let them let, find a shop that's also like that's some shops see see that as a real money maker. Like, but some shops are like a lot, especially nowadays. It doesn't matter whether it's DIY audio or somebody's building like racks for their you know company or something like. Everybody buying metal is in the same boat where most people don't have the CAD ability. So the shop mm-hmm. and the shops get better and better and faster and faster and faster. So as long as you have a 
you have your stuff together, you know what I mean? And you can like get some of the measurements together. Uh, you should be able to find a shop that can work with you on that. But again, if you're dealing with this stuff, you have to realize the unfortunate thing is that like, if you want to buy 10, the difference between 10 and 25 and 50 and a hundred are huge jumps. Right. Because of the machine setup. And that's very important. They're not trying to like ream anybody at low quantity. It's just like, like I said, it doesn't take any more time to make really to make a hundred versus 10. They set up Mm -hmm. the, this giant break or they set up their million dollar laser, you know, and they want to let that thing do its job, if that makes sense. It's like a robotic thing. So you need to find that that balance of quantity. And I'm, I make my own products, and I'm in the same boat. I don't. I'm like I often make 25 pieces because I just it's the cash flow thing, and that's where it's the business side. But um, right. it's hard for it's very hard for DIYers to get into that category. There's some things like Front Panel Express, you know, that's that's good. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but for folded box, you just need, it depends on the, your market and where you are. Who knows? You might have a shop in your area that's totally, you know, up for doing small quantities. So I, n- I never want to discourage anybody, but yeah, you just have to find somebody that knows what they're doing. Hopefully somebody that knows about audio, you know, mm-hmm. and like has seen XLRs and, you know, and, right. Yeah. I, uh, or someone who's, um, who's got another audio customer that they've made exactly. a bunch of stuff for. You know, they don't exactly. necessarily have to know what a U47 is, but yeah, yeah exactly. They they it really does help if they're familiar a bit with the kind of equipment we're making um because for example, they'll know that um you'll they'll know you have good reasons for specking aluminum over steel or or something like that. Sure, and 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 also that some things it's like this has got to look good. Like, do not scratch that faceplate. Right. You know, that's very, very uh-huh. important. So you have, I've done that a lot, you know, and, and eventually they, they come around and understand that <laughs> it's like, okay, it's different. Cause most metal shops are making things that are pretty heavy duty or, you know, there's, it's loose. It's not always so precision. So yeah, you need to be really clear with what, with what you're looking for. This may sound obvious, but you have an image in your head of what you want. And unless you tell them what that image is, you know, in terms of like finish right. quantity, quality or whatever, like they don't, they can't read your mind. So it's very, very important to like develop really clear communication skills. It's very, especially when you're buying a bunch of metal, <laughs> it can be really scary. It can be scary when right. you're like, you know, you know, I you've found, done it. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I've definitely, um, Definitely still going up that learning curve. Um, yeah. But I found in terms of tackling that, because I know that um, it's really daunting uh, when, say, you're you're new to manufacturing or you just want to have a really nice DIY um, build. It's really daunting when you don't know the difference between anodizing or zinc plating or powder coating or silkscreen or you know these things... You maybe you abstractly know what they are, but you don't know how they feel, how they look, how different types of anodizing processes yep. affect the look. And it is really daunting and, and the best I can say in terms of accelerating that learning curve um is 
ask people whose gear you like the look of. Exactly. What they do. Most people just like to talk about the stuff they make. And nobody's um, – this isn't Apple. Like nobody's competing on the basis of having a secret anodizing method or something, you know. I spent way too long under the impression that I had to figure this out for myself from the ground up. And then I don't know if it was like the first time I went to AES or, or when it was when I, I started talking to other people who made stuff and realizing like, oh, nobody's, nobody's cagey about this stuff. And this is how they all learned it is just from asking each other exactly what they did, who did their metal, what finish did they use, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, like you said, just yeah, ask people. You're, that's that's great advice. You really like a box, they're gonna somebody's gonna be really proud, and they're gonna tell you. Mm-hmm. It is because uh, I also do you know circuit design and PCB layout, but not to diminish the circuit, <laughs> but God, the the getting into a box is the hardest part. You know, circuits are circuits are tough. I mean, circuits are are f- flexible. And re- even PCB, it's relatively cheap, and that gets cheaper and cheaper. Prototyping PCBs gets cheaper and cheaper. Uh, but you buy, the, you get the metal, and it's fixed. You know what I mean? It's like laying a tile floor in your house. It's like you can't change the color. You know, right. so. And it's the, it's both. It's the you know the the marketing. It's the brand. It's the user interface. Yeah. It's. You know, it, it really is the the face of the the product yeah. and what people will interact with. So it's there is also also you have to um, you got to step away from things too because there's a way to and when I was starting a big thing, I still do it sometimes. Like the project just doesn't have the you don't have the budget, but you can make you can make a design decision that makes a huge impact. I mean, uh, one was kind of one of my first after the fulcrum one of, one of my big kind of first professional product, products was um helping uh doing the design of the Pacifica for A designs and it started out and the first prototype they shot the they shot the faceplate in black you know mm-hmm. and I had been kind of inspired by this product um uh, by the Quad 8 Pacifica right right and I was like, "Will you guys let me let me just I got a I got a thing I got to try." So, <laughs> I used that like cream colored thing like the consoles and the red on the rear chassis in a day when everything was gray or black. And and it just it was just like it seems so commonplace nowadays cuz everything's so colorful and there's all sorts mm-hmm. of crazy stuff, but Back in whenever that was in 2003 or 2004, it was just like, wham. It was like, whoa, that looks so cool. And it really helped. And it was just a matter of the color I chose. It had right. no extra cost or didn't require milling or, or you know, any special thing. So it's just like a design idea, you know. So just using – and there's so many examples out there of companies that just do amazing, amazing design. And it's just, just the, can be the type you use. It can be the color. It can be the knobs. Set yourself apart, you know, you know. And there's no, there's no cost per unit for good design. You know, once you've done it, it's, it's free. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I think the the point of it is that you don't need money to make good designed good design decisions and, you know, even if you want to be totally pro. Awesome. Well, this has been this has been great. Is there anything else you want to add or cover or plug before we sign uh, off? No, no. Uh, just think that what you guys are doing is is great. I wish I wish it was around when <laughs> when I started. But uh, yeah, just encourage people to be you know fearless and really follow the the kind of crazy ideas that you have. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, John, and uh, let's talk soon. Okay, thanks, Pearson.